Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. We're in the middle of a series called Sunday School, and for a few weeks now, we have been looking at some Old Testament stories. So the Bible is in two big parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we're reading stories from the first part of the Bible that do not explicitly show us Jesus and the Christian life, and yet implicitly on every page of scripture, we find the King of Kings, because it's all about him. And our hope through this series is that you would not be afraid of the first 39 books of the Bible, but rather we would say we can read and discover what God has for us today. Now, primarily these stories center around and the nation of Israel, the, the people of Israel, and they show us how God through this people group is bringing redemption to the whole world. So we've looked at some great stories and today we're gonna look at another story, but I thought before we read from the Old Testament, let's read the words of Jesus that will frame up the story that we will read today. This may be one of his easiest commands to follow. So I hope we're all going to do good with this one. It's in Luke 6:35 and here it is. I tell you, love your enemies. It's one of his easiest commands to follow. <laughs> love your enemies. Help and give without expecting a return. You'll never, I promise, regret it. Live out this God-created identity the way our Father lives toward us, generously and graciously, even when we're at our worst. There's so much here. Our Father is kind. You be kind. Don't look at the person sitting next to you. Just look at me and say, you be kind. <laughs> so I want you to offend the person next to you. It's a little aggressive. It's still like not even 10 o'clock. You be kind. The words of Jesus. Hey, love your enemies. So today, and listen, there's no way in our 30 minutes of God's word that we can begin to unpack all the layers around this single phrase, love your enemies. You and I walk into this space and we carry with us our past, our history, our present, our future hopes and dreams. And we're coming face to face with the words of Jesus, love your enemies, you be kind. And so the question that we will pull on this morning is where do we even begin with this? How do we even move towards obedience to the words of Jesus to love your enemies? Because for some of us, we've been lied to, we've been betrayed, we've been hurt, We've been abandoned. Things have been stolen from us. People have come against us. So I want you right now, the person that maybe you've done your best to not think about for all these years, they might start to have some feelings come up during this message. I know that. I want you to do your best to simply remain. 
Just stay with whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do through the words of Jesus. Now, I do need to let you know, this message is for me today. What I mean by that is over the past two weeks, I have learned the words of Jesus to love those who are hardest to love in a way that I've never learned it before. And I mean that. This isn't like pastor talk. It's the truth. That's a funny joke. You should laugh there. <laughs> it just clicked. Okay. <laughs> I, I, really, I really mean this. The past two weeks for me, my family, your, the board of trustees, the pastoral leadership team, we've been walking through some moments of how do you love those who don't seem to be for you and yet you love. So at the very least for you today, just watch me preach to me for the next 25 minutes. <laughs> And you can just help me out with this because I've had to be in this text. In fact, so you know how this process works sometimes. Tuesday is my sermon writing day. It's when I'll sit down and typically I know where I'm going. We map out our series over the whole year. I can tell you the series that we're doing for the rest of the year. But for this message, I didn't know where I was going because of what I've been working through for two weeks. But Tuesday was coming because Tuesday always comes and then Sunday always comes. So Tuesday morning, I sat down and I genuinely said, Holy Spirit, what do I even do right now? Because my head is somewhere else. What am I supposed to preach on? How do I even get started? And I genuinely sensed the Holy Spirit say, you already know what to preach on. You just don't want to do it because <laughs> it's about what you're going through. And so this morning, we're going to look at a moment where a man named David has to love an enemy in a way that is very hard for him. And so I just want you to take notes to apply this in your life, in your circumstances, because we can't get around this. These are the words of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, his words shape your life. That's the blessing of being in Jesus. Students, you don't have to figure out what God wants to you to do with, you don't have to figure out what you want to do with your life. God already knows. God already knows what you need to do with your life. He's told you. He's told us. It's we get to these moments and we say, he can't mean that. There's got to be some other Greek word he meant there. We try to come up with another interpretation of what this means. You be kind. Well, what does kind mean in the Greek? And who's an enemy? And hey, someone tried that. You can read about it. They said, who's my neighbor when Jesus said, love your neighbor? Read that story. So I just want to show you through an Old Testament story what it looks like to love your enemy. And maybe today, maybe you will take a step in the direction of loving your enemy, whoever that person is, whatever that may look like. And we're going to read scripture and allow God's word to change us. So a little bit of history. We're in the Old Testament. This is a moment where a, a boy named David had already been anointed to be the king of Israel but Saul was the king at the time. David steps out and takes down Goliath. And from that moment, David then marries one of King Saul's daughters. So now he's the son-in-law of the king, not a bad position to have. He's fighting in Saul's army and he's doing so well that Saul becomes paranoid and jealous of David. Really, Saul falls into the comparison trap. And if you've ever fell into the comparison trap before, you know how deadly that becomes to a relationship and to your purpose. The Saul is now jealous of David. They're singing for David. They love David. 
And Saul allows the jealousy to eat at him. And now he wants to kill David. His son-in-law, his son, Jonathan's best friend, the leader of his army who has only ever defended Saul and been for Saul, now Saul wants him dead. And so David sets off on the run with about 600 men. And Saul has the armies of Israel at his disposal. And they come face to face in a very tense moment. And from this moment, I wanna show you and I how we might love in some way our enemies. So 1 Samuel 24 is where we're gonna be. If you have your Bible, turn there. If you don't own a Bible, we wanna give you one today. So we'll do that in the back, but it will be on the screen as well. So here we go. 1 Samuel 24, 1. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. First off, when I read this, I've been getting into like docu-series lately. And I just thought, what a title for a docu-series on Netflix, The Rocks of the Wild Goats. Wouldn't you, you would want to know about that. What's the Rocks of the Wild Goats all about? Well, it's the place where Saul mobilizes 3,000 men to come against David. Now, if you remember, how many did David have with him? Who remembers? 600. Saul has five times the amount of men to take down one guy. Do you know sometimes when we're not thinking correctly, we think and act irrationally? When we allow the paranoia and the fear and the comparison to take over, we make decisions that are not rational and right. And here's Saul taking 3,000 men to go search for this one person that he wants gone. It's safe to say they're enemies. And it says in the next verse, he being Saul came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, if you ever wanna join Blaze Kids and you're like, I don't know how to interact with a middle school boy or an elementary school boy, start with this verse. <laughs> You'll just get them right away. Hey, let me tell you the one time we see a poop reference in scripture. <laughs> you, can, you can be on Blaze Kids, just start here. <laughs> here it is that Saul goes in to relieve himself. Now, let's play a little game. How many of you are on the team where if you're doing a road trip, no stops, doesn't matter, hold it. Where are my people at? Okay. How many of you don't even get into Nassau and you already got to pee and you're already, okay. So we're a little divisive when it comes to that. Understand it. My family knows we don't stop and we have genuinely made it from here to Hershey Park in four hours without stopping. Hold it. You can pee at Hershey Park. <laughs> Paul, uh, Paul, Saul had to stop. Saul had to stop. And so Saul goes into this cave to relieve himself. Now, I love the next verse and I love the way the author is inspired by the spirit of God to write this verse because there's something for us to see that we might believe that God is over every situation. God's over your enemy. He's over the heartache. He's over the moments. He's in control. Look, but as it happened, well, who did that? I believe God. 
But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. I mean, come on, you're at the rocks of the wild goats. <laughs> There's so many caves to choose, Saul. And as it happened, the one cave you go into, David and his men are hiding in the back of. My goodness, you should read your Bible. This is in your Bible. How awesome, how engaging, how at the edge of our seat, what's going to happen? And so I want you to hear this. God is doing things that you and I may not even understand in our lives. Over the past couple of weeks for me, I was, so many of my prayers were, God, I don't get it, but you do. I don't understand, but you have a plan. And so here it is that, Saul's in the cave and David and his men are in the back of the cave and now the enemies are in proximity to one another. And look at what David's men say. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David's men are there and David's men think that this is a divine opportunity for David to take out his enemy. And they're whispering to him and they're trying to make it sound so right. Now, here's the interesting thing. They're alluding to this opportunity that, that the Lord is telling you, hold up. Because if you read throughout the scriptures, there's never a moment, there's never a moment in the scriptures where God tells David, one day you will do this. He's told him other things that he will do. It's never, so what do, you, what do you mean the Lord is telling you? Guys, you gotta hear this. You and I are commanded in God's word to test prophecies. To not just accept it. Someone comes up to you and says, God told me you're supposed to, and they fill in that blank. You don't run with that, okay? You test that. You, you, you go to God's word. You go to prayer. You go to spiritual leadership in your life. Your small group leader, pastors. Hey, this person is saying, you test it because these guys are now coming up to David. Hey, hey, this is the moment. God wants this. God wants this. And I'll just tell you, if someone comes up to you and there's King, King James in his 2024 and they say, thus saith the Lord, you run. Okay. <laughs> Because we don't talk like that. <laughs> Thus who? Saith what? Stop. So we, we test it. And David now has an opportunity. What do I do with this? And it says in the next verse, so David crept forward and, and I want us to sit here for a minute. Because we can read the verse so fast, and if you know the story, don't finish the story, but you can read the verse so fast and not realize the tension of the moment as David creeps forward. An expert warrior who could take Saul out in one blow. He took down a, a Goliath. He took down a giant. And Saul is in what might be the most vulnerable position known to man. <laughs> <laughs> it 
It doesn't get more vulnerable than that. And David is creeping forward. And this guy wants him dead and has mobilized 3,000 to kill him and their enemies. And David has a choice. Hear this. You always have a choice. I know there are moments where it feels as if our choice is taken away. And that, that is very true as a feeling. There are moments where other people make decisions and it has ramifications to our lives. You still get a choice up here. Always. Oh, you, you always have a mental choice. You get to choose an attitude. You get to choose a heart response. And David now is creeping forward. And I want you to understand, I believe David knew this truth and we need to know it today. The decisions you make today become the story you tell tomorrow. These are not isolated decisions that you and I are making. Your decision today, right now, when someone asks, what did you do? When they ask you tomorrow, what did you do yesterday? Your decisions today inform that decision. It, it's all connected. So David knows there will be a day where maybe his grandkids will ask, hey, grandpa, tell us again the story of how you became the king of Israel. And he'll have to tell the story. I wrote down what he might say. Well, when my father-in-law, your great-grandfather, the king, was using the bathroom, <laughs> I crept up behind him and slit his throat. But he deserved it because he wanted to kill me first. And that's the day I became the king. Let's eat. <laughs> It'll become a story. Your decisions today, your financial decisions, your relational decisions, all of your decisions become a story that one day you will tell. Do you want to tell that story? So David creeps forward and, and here's the rest of the verse, cut off a corner of Saul's rope. He had the opportunity to do anything. And he chooses, this is the title of the message today, to cut corners. He chose to cut corners. Now, when you and I say cut corners, the way that phrase is used in society says we're gonna ignore the rules. We're gonna take the easy route. We're gonna violate integrity. We're gonna do whatever we want because we're justified to do it. That's what it means to cut corners according to the world. David's idea of cut corners was the opposite. It's actually a move of integrity. I'm not gonna cut the king. I'm not gonna take out the king. I'm gonna cut a corner. And the only reason why David was able to do this in this moment, this tense moment, is because David already pre-decided he would do it. We heard a whole message about this. So hear this. Before the opportunity, David pre-decided integrity. He was already living in it. He was already walking in it. When you are face-to-face -face with your enemy, you are not gonna have an, a moment of, oh man, I have to choose integrity now. The choice comes before that. <laughs> Come on. How many of us, we've been in the supermarket and we get wind that someone's there that we don't want to see. And, you're, and you, you, just, you just, was that, was that Jerry? I think Jerry's here. You know what? I don't even need groceries today. Forget it. 
You leave the cart, it becomes an associate's problem later. Because if I go down the same cookie aisle as Jerry and I haven't pre-decided integrity, there's gonna be a problem. Some of us are so bad, we take a fake phone call. Hold on, Jerry, I'm on the phone. Good to see you, brother. And then it rings while you're holding it. You ever have that moment? We have to pre-decide integrity. And I'm gonna show you how, because we're just, we're just looking at David, but we're gonna see there's some Christian values that will help us in this direction. I just think David's integrity was so high. Look at what it says next. But then David's conscience began to bother him because he had cut Saul's robe. Could you imagine if he did something worse? He, he has chosen integrity to a degree that even cutting that corner of the robe brings something up in him that says, I shouldn't have done that. What a way to live. That's how you want to live. Parents, that's how you want your kids to live. Spouses, that, that's married people, you want your spouse to live that way. Singles, you want friendships like that. Students, you want people in your life like that. That it's such a high level of integrity, I shouldn't have even done that. And now David is gonna show us three views Write these down that we need to have if you wanna to move towards loving your enemy. These are the views that are unique to a follower of Jesus. It all starts with no God. Here, he has a conscious written heart. And look what he does. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King. My Lord, the King. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. My goodness. I don't know about you, but for me, I oftentimes maximize the pain and I minimize the person. So I define the person who has hurt me, who has come against me through the lens of my pain. Let me say it this way as a follower of Jesus. I don't look at that person and say they're an image bearer of God, even though they are. I don't look at them and say they're someone just as deserving of God's forgiveness and grace as I am, even though they are. I don't define that person with those words. David is showing us a little trick here, a little tip, a way to guard our own hearts. What do you call the person who is your enemy? What words do you use when you talk about them? What do we say, <laughs> jerk? That's a good one, exactly right. Right there with you, Justin. Said it a billion times this week. Thank you for your honesty. What would it look like to look at that person and say, you're loved by God? So hard. It's so, this isn't an easy one. It's so hard. So David is looking at Saul, who is an authority in his life. He is... For all intents and purposes, he is the government authority in his life. He's the king. David's not. David might disagree with his stances and his views, and hey, he's trying to kill him. He still knows you're still the king. You've still been put there by God. So I'm aware, and you should be too, of what we're facing as these months continue on in our country leading into an election, yes? Don't act like you don't know there's an election coming. Come on. Where are we? Okay, so 
allow God's word to maybe help us as we navigate tumultuous waters once again. The words of Paul, inspired by the Spirit, written to a people group who were under Roman rule, oppression, and he has the audacity by God's Spirit to say this to followers of Jesus. Romans 13, 1. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. And I, this ain't political, this is biblical. So I'm not trying to tell you what to do as you think. I'm just giving you a verse. And I don't know why God had Paul write that when Nero was in charge, burning Christians, throwing them to lions, but he did. And so I'm just, I'm just encouraging you, Blaze Church, go to God's word first before you go to your news outlet of choice. Not don't go to it, just be framed up by God's word. And his word is summed up in one word, honor. Just honor, honor. And I figured since we're already here and it's already awkward, allow me to read one more verse because April 15th is coming. So verse six, pay your taxes too. It's God's word, okay? For the same reasons. For government workers need to be paid they are serving God in what they do, okay? This has been paid for by Keith and Davino public service announcement. I don't know, it's, what else would I say here at this point? God's word, all right, let's continue. Here's what we need first, okay? If you wanna love your enemies, if you wanna follow the words of Jesus, the first thing you and I need is an honoring view of others. Let's start with how we see people. And I know it takes so much work. It takes so much reframing to look at somebody and say, I'm gonna honor you, an honoring view of others, but you and I need that. That's our starting point. David starts by saying, that guy over there, our enemy is actually the Lord's anointed. Let's start there. There's two more views. So David then shouts out to Saul from the cave. Why do, why do you listen to the people who say, I'm trying to harm you? Like David doesn't understand. Why are you just listening to them instead of having a conversation with me? We have a value here at Blaze Church. If you know, you could say with me, we don't talk about people. We talk what? Two people. Been driving that in eight years now. We don't talk about people here. We don't tolerate gossip here. We, I, I've had moments where someone starts to talk to me about another person. I say, hold on, I'm gonna invite them in before you go further. Because we talk to people. We do not talk about people. Hey bro, why are you listening to what they say? Talk to me about it. Let's have a conversation. Verse 14, who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? It's like, what are you wasting all this time and resources for? Who are you coming after? And then look at how David defines himself. Should he spend his time chasing one who is worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? So when David looks at himself, he's got an honoring view of others. And now he's starting to turn his eyes towards himself. Notice the lens he paints himself in. He says, I'm just like a dead dog. Now, in this time period, dogs were not man's best friend, okay? Dogs were considered as worthless. They just added no value. Couldn't do anything to further this tribal community. David takes it a step further and say, I'm like a dead dog. In fact, I'm so insignificant. I'll take the smallest creature we know. I am like a flea. What is David doing? He's humbling himself in the presence of his enemy. Paul writes in Philippians, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. 
Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. So here's the next view you and I have to have if we are to move towards obedience. We have an honoring view of others and we have a humble view of ourselves. A humble view of ourselves. You know what we call this in our house? We call it go low, go low. Constantly tell my kids, go low. I know she did that to you, bro. To my son, Nate, go low. Just go low. You don't, have to, you don't have to go back and forth right now. Just go low. Just apologize. Even when, watch this, apologize when they don't deserve it. Apologize when they don't deserve it. This isn't about being right today. It's about you taking a step towards obedience to the command of Jesus because when you and I learn to be kind as our father is kind, I'm telling you the burdens are gonna start coming off. You don't have to live with that weight anymore of the pain that that person caused. They should have never done it. Yes, they should have never hurt you that way. You are justified and you are right. And also you can go low because of the last view. So here's what David says last. May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. So do you know what David is appealing to here? And it's something that as believers, we have this gift. He's appealing to the justice of God, the holiness of God, that God is holy, just, and loving. And those qualities don't compete with each other. They complete who God is. And David goes, listen, I don't need to judge the wrong you've caused me. You don't get to judge my actions. I appeal to the one who is in charge of it all. And he will rescue me. Hey, <laughs> I just believe that God can do a way better job than you and I at bringing justice. He can do it. Here's what the proverb says. Don't say I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Oh, if there's a verse that you and I need on our fridge. If there's a verse that we need to be reminded of, wait for the Lord. Now in the waiting, just to be clear, the waiting is not sitting on our hands. You can be active in the waiting. You take steps towards justice, towards reconciliation, towards all the restitution, all of that. And at the same time as a believer, we say, but I wait on the Lord. Here's why, last view, a holy view of God. A view that says, God, you stand outside of this situation. You see me, you see them, you've got it. You, you are in charge. So David in the cave takes this stance. And he chooses to honor the king and humble himself and appeal to the holiness of God. And Saul goes his way and David goes his. And before we think, let's be like David, let's do like David, all you and I have to do is turn the page in our Bible and get to chapter 25. Because you know what David does in that chapter real quick? He takes his army and he decides he's gonna kill this guy named Nabal because he wouldn't give him some bread for breakfast. Bro, did you not just read about yourself in the last chapter? <laughs> what are you doing? You're angry over food? Angry enough to kill? That is a new definition of hanger, my friends. 
So before we say, I just gotta be like David and David embodies these qualities, what do we know about God's word? Every page points us to Jesus. You and I need Jesus, our example and our substitute, the Holy Spirit to make real the person of Jesus in our lives so that we go from old to new. And so we have a perfect savior who humbled himself, who honored even Pilate and who trusted in a holy God to bring resurrection power. What the story of David shows us is that none of us are perfect at this. We need a perfect savior. It's not about, you're gonna get it right in this moment and then you might leave here and in an hour from now, the feelings start coming up again. Do you know what that's called? Normal. It's normal. We're wrestling through how do we love our enemies? How do we possibly live out the commands of Jesus? So we've done the how part, the views, but we need to end with the why, the motivation. And here it is in 1 John. You wanna know why we love our enemies? Because this is how God showed his love among us. I told you, you and I can't do this apart from the saving work of Jesus. We, we won't. We'll be justified to continue hating that person. But this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Please do not allow pride to get in your heart to make you think that somehow you're more deserving of the love of God than the person sitting next to you. All of us have been shown the grace of God, the love of God. He loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I don't remember who said it. If someone remembers, you can shout it out. It's someone smarter than me. But to the, to the effect of like, my sins are just cleaner than yours. They're just not as dirty as yours, but they're still sin. Like we try to pretty up our sin and we try to say, yeah, but I did this and they did that. And God goes, I don't work that way. I sent my son for all of you, for the sin of the world. I find it's hardest to love my enemies when I forget the gospel. It's the gospel framework. So John ends here and says, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's it. We have done nothing to earn or deserve his love. So as I write this message on Tuesday, I get to this part, okay? And I sit in front of the computer and the Bibles are open and I just sit and I say, but wh where do we go now? <laughs> like, how do, you end a, how do you end a message like this? Go do it. You can't do that. <laughs> Start. Like motivation. Even for the worship response, I'm talking with Reg and I'm like, do we, do we even sing? Do we sing a loud song? Do, what do we, this is so, like as tense as it feels right now, I'm sitting there and I, I sense that this is the best way to end it. This isn't the end. This is the beginning. We're not ending. I'm not telling you now, go do it. Now it's easy. You've got these three views. Okay, honor, humility, holiness. I can, get, I can do this. No, this is the beginning. So my prayer as I ended was I wrote, may the hand of God 
touch our heavy hearts. That's it. May the hand, that might be a good prayer for you to pray this week. As you think of that person, may the hand of God touch my heavy heart. May his loving hand, may his gracious hand touch my heavy heart. So here's how I'd like to respond with our last five minutes. A worship team is gonna come and they are gonna sing a song, but we will remain seated and we will remain still. And you don't have to sing the words that are on the screen. In fact, I would encourage you if you would like, if you have a notebook, that's great. If you wanna use your phone app, that's great. If you wanna just sit, but I would encourage you to sit in this heaviness, to write to the Lord, the person's name, the situation, the moment that you are going through or have gone through, and to just hear the words of this song that declare it is the mighty cross of Jesus Christ that even provides life to me. That this would be a moment where we simply are. We just be and allow the Holy Spirit to seal some of this in our hearts so that we might move towards obedience in his command. So I'm gonna pray for you now and then ask you to stay where you are, ask you to not move around because the person sitting next to you wants this personal quiet moment just for a few minutes. And then I will come up in the middle of the song and ask you to stand because the words of the song invite us in that moment to then move from maybe mourning and remembrance in this way to praise. Saying maybe sometimes I just have to praise the Lord even though the enemy is right in front of me. Even though the situation is looming. So allow me to pray for you and then our team will start singing. Father, I pray for every person here. This one's not easy. This one is not one we run to. It's not one we embrace without hesitation and reservation and unwillingness. It's one that we struggle with. How do we love the ones who have hurt us the worst? And we know these are your words and we know apart from your spirit, we have no chance at this. We can only love because you first loved us. So as we begin to hear even the words of this song and begin to worship you by sitting, by crying, by being still, by writing and reflecting, we ask that your hand of grace would touch our heavy hearts. We need you today. And we have restoration and reconciliation with you. May that be applied to those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.